Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WPHD, WPHD, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. Yes. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. SEPTA and the Philadelphia Parking Authority are now going to start using artificial intelligence to target cars parked illegally in bus lanes. Yes, that's going to go into effect within a year. AI, spying on us and uh, finding more ways for them to make money. Amazing. But it's uh, but welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, as you know. And I always love when I get to talk to amazing people who have served our country. A friend of mine, a mutual friend of all of ours, Stevie Reese, who does traffic on our sister station, KYW, met a guy and she said, he's a fascinating guy. And she said, Rich, you should talk to him and have him on your show. So I'm very, very happy to welcome to the show U.S. Army Korean War veteran Jim Webb. Sir, how are you today? Well, I woke up. (laughs) That's that's half the battle, I guess, right? Yeah, well, I'm close to 90. Well, God bless you that you that you are close to ninety and you woke up and you you sound like you're in good spirits, so that's good. Yes, in this day and age, that uh, you know, you just have to. My life's been a an interesting journey. <laughs> it really is. Now, so so let's talk. First of all, I want to talk about what you do when you're living. You make stuffed animals, and I, I may have to buy some from you for my children. But oh, um, I do this as. Uh, uh, I grew up at the end, long story short, I grew up at the end of the Depression in West Philly. And I actually saw the Hindenburg fly over Philly on May 6, 1937. I was, I was just a kid. And then World War II hit, and um, it was a type of thing, rationing and all of that other stuff, that a family got two pounds of meat a week if you had the right ration stamps and all of that stuff, and you got a pair of shoes a year. And at that time, Philadelphia had blue laws. There was no movie theaters or any entertainment on Sunday. And so having grown up, and I, you know, I wound up in living in Darby and then Sharon Hill, which I graduated in 52, and so I've I've done just about everything I you know you could think of. That uh, I worked at Paisaki. I actually worked on the plywood mock-ups of the C9 and Chinook helicopters, and 
you know, and then I was invited to the Korean police action, and I uh, was drafted or I volunteered just at, shortly after the truce now, in Korea. Shortly after that in Korea, but you, but you were important in a in a in in this helicopter group. I want to make sure I'm saying it correctly. Uh, the Piasecki Helicopter Corporation in Morton, PA. Am I saying that correctly? That is right. Piasecki, and he developed, uh, if anyone wants to see the history, is you can go to piasecki.com and click on the history tab, and you'll see all the helicopters that were built. Uh, and it was a combined combination of Pitcairn, Kellett, uh, all of these engineers, and no computers. I'm part of a bridge generation that everything was done by hand and a slipstick, and computers didn't come into being and started in the 70s. So that I'm a bridge generation of uh, just a piece of the action where everybody else, the computer history on mainline uh, uh in Devon and all of that with Burroughs and all those companies. So you, you made your living doing as many jobs as you possibly could, putting the food on the table. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. You, you're a witness to history. You've lived, you've lived it. You've served our country. Uh, you are a hero. You don't consider yourself one to be, but you no, are. No, I was just, it was like when, when people get in the military, you, you take your chances and you go in knowing that. You take your chances knowing that, but you but you stepped up. I mean, that's the thing. You stepped up, and there's a lot of people that don't step up. And I and I think on Veterans Day, it's important to salute people like you for stepping up. I appreciate that. What do you how how, how do you when you think about veterans in this country and 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 how they're treated, and you think about the state of veterans and how they're doing, Jim Webb, tell me what you think. How, how are they doing? I think. Uh for the most part, and it's like everybody else, you have to make your own decisions. Um, I can tell you I, I'm connected with the VA in Coatesville, and I couldn't ask for a better caring group of people in all my life. I'm, and they, they operate. I'm assigned to a geriatric team with a doctor, social worker, anything that I might need and anything in an emergency that I can get the services I need. And they've been very, very supportive. That's good. That's that's excellent. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, it's important that, that you get the, that kind of service. Do you, do you still have friends that you served with? Oh, they're all scattered. Most of the Korean War vets are dead. I'm one of the few living. I mean, we're like World War II. <laughs> There's yeah. not many World War II vets. A lot of Vietnam vets that I see at the VA. Mm -hmm. Are you involved at all with the Veterans of Foreign Wars or the Foreign uh, the, No, uh, the American I, Legion I, I reached an age I no longer drive, and uh, I, I do a lot of... I have a one-bedroom... Uh, we have a two-bedroom apartment, and one bedroom's is my studio so i've i worked up i went to the academy many many years ago and so i have a background in engineering and illustration and publications and 
So, you know, I've, I've had many trades. I've been very lucky and still very productive. And you painted the lettering on the canvas for the WFIL yes. helicopter. Yes, what? yes. Yeah. When, I, <laughs> when, I, when I worked at Virtual, uh, I worked my way out of, up from the shops to the publications department. And as a, as a Korean vet, I bought my first home for $12,500 on a GI Bill. And I was making less than $200 a week at Virtsall. So it was the nuclear family. The wife stayed home and raised the children. And the fathers did everything they could, like my buddies, doing freelance work to bring in the, the extra money to put food on the table. So it was just part, you know, it was just an accept, accepted thing to do, responsibility. Mm-hmm. And well, we didn't ask for any, you know, we didn't ask for anybody to, you know, just just the opportunity, and it was up to you to take advantage of it. Let me ask you, Jim, since you are a history buff, do you do you think America does a good enough job? Do we do a good enough job of teaching the history, particularly about the Korean War, for example? No, I don't, because mm-hmm. uh, there are some things I don't wish to talk about. However, um, you can see it with the guys coming back from the Middle East, and I, I see these fellows uh, a lot, and I pray for them because they really, I mean, brain injury and all the rest of the stuff and amputations. Um, and I see them at the, at the VA often, and the VA, is it's a very, very difficult, challenging job. I will tell you one thing that might be of interest. Uh, A couple of the doctors at the VA are Vietnamese whose families were saved by the GIs and brought to this country. And my primary care doctor was a Vietnamese survivor family, and he went on to become a doctor, and as a payback, became associated with the VA. And so there's there's another a number of foreign national doctors that uh, are committed to the VA that have, I mean, stepped up. So I find that interesting. That's, that, that's very important. Let me ask you, Jim, at the time of the Korean conflict, when you signed up, what was the feeling in America at the time of the importance of, of being part of that? What, what, what motivated you in particular? Did you think the United States of America at the time had had to do it? It was right after World War II, obviously. Give us the perspective from what it was like back then. Uh, it was, you know, you had to do your, it was a thing. Uh, I think the draft was a very good thing to get young people oriented to learn discipline and work as a uh, as a group and um, I was the last of a long line of cousins I had two cousins at the Battle of the Bulge that survived I had another one that was shot down in Palesta German war prisoner for three years and another one that became a um, a merchant mariner engineer, and he did the Murmansk runs, and we all survived, thankfully. And we go back to the Civil War. My great-great-grandfather was a brickmaker in Philadelphia, 
who was a Pennsylvania zoologist, and landed a Hilton head. That was... <laughs> and so I have the trace of the whole history of the family. So all of our family, when the country called and needed us, we stepped up. And the Korean War was justified. I mean, it was the U.N. action. So I served with Indian troops from the Punjab, Indian Gurkhas, Greeks, Turks, First British Commonwealth, and Third British Commandos. And so they were scattered all over the place. Hmm. So that was a, that was the UN that was the UN action, and then Harry Truman uh, that we joined in because being part of the UN, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And you As just you accepted at, it. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. As you as you look at the state of the world right now, and you, you think about, for example, what's going on in the Middle East with Israel, and you think about the fact that we just had a twenty year war on terror, young people, as they're looking at potential military service, as they're as as, as they're thinking about that, um, obviously, you know, there's always a risk. I mean, with that, with, we don't know where war is going to break out next. It's a very very tense time. But do you still recommend military service for young people? Yes, I do, and I think it's it's a way uh, because I believe the education uh, system across the board has deteriorated over the years. And um, um, well, one example: when I grew up in grade school and all the way through school, we never addressed our teachers by their first name. They weren't our buddies; they were there to teach and teaching the three R's and. I was lucky to have history teachers that were veterans of World War II, so they they could impart what it was really like. Uh, the um, what I see the state of the education system today is is not very good um, across the board. Um, but I feel if if a, a young person uh, wanted to get a start in life. And it requires discipline. It's a two-way street. Is to join the military. Uh, there's a lot of high-tech jobs that are not going to go away. And in the military, you can, uh, if you join up, that uh, you can get an education. And if you work hard at it, and uh, you know, it's a good way to learn discipline. And I think this is what's lacking. Uh, I think what the generation now is is self-centered. I mean, there's too many things social. When we grew up, we were we were taught to work as a uh, you know work together. You know, mm-hmm. if you we didn't we didn't put up with pity parties. Poor me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't. That's true. I mean, you are part of the greatest generation. No, no question about it. And everybody should salute you on on days like today, uh, and every day, in my opinion, every day. Veterans Day should be more than just one day, in my opinion. Uh, Jim Webb, we salute you, sir. God bless. Thank you for your service to our country. And uh, you're 90. I expect uh, another long, long history from you. When is your book coming out? Oh, book! I have to have somebody else. I'll have Stevie Reese write that. That should be good. <laughs> I'm an artist, but I'm not a writer. That uh, uh, you know, I think I think things uh, is, uh, that have 
by the way, I grew up with uh, you know people like Chubby Checker. He mm-hmm. lives but two miles from here in, in Valley Forge, and uh, and I knew all these all these people. They I knew uh, Dick Clark. He was in our JCs, and Merv Griffin lived in Brumall. And the entertainment industry was was based here. Well, that, it's it, it's a great history, my friend. Absolutely, Jim. Thank you for coming on the show today. It was an honor to speak to you. I hope you have a wonderful Veterans Day, and thank you again for your service. Well, I just I was just the piece of the action, and pray for the guys that that have been badly injured in the Middle East, and you know the whole thing is it's a mess. Well said, my friend. Well said. Thank you, Jim. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, as we continue along the show today, we are also going to chat with Dr. Victoria Coates about what's going on in the world, because it is a mess, as Mr. Webb said. And we have to figure out what's happening and what the role of the United States of America is. But I also have to tell you close to home, uh, I don't know if guys like Jim signed up to serve and defend freedom and liberty to find out that artificial intelligence is going to be going around uh, writing tickets for cars. But that's exactly what the city of Philadelphia is doing. And I'll share the details of that with you as well. Plus, our government today continues to go after its political enemies. Tucker Carlson sat down with one of those political enemies. A man known on Twitter as Ricky Vaughn, a troll, uh, Douglas Mackey. And he's facing 60 days of prison time for a joking meme on social media that he didn't even create himself. But that is the current state of the United States of America. So I will tell you about that as well as we continue. But uh, my buddy Tom Skopinich is a great guy and a great friend. And he is the guy I want you to call if you are injured in an accident. Now, you're driving right now. You're probably seeing all the billboard clowns, as I call them. The big the big faces on the billboards. Ignore ignore them. You want Tom Skopinich. He's going to sit down directly with you one-on-one and help you. And he's been doing that for 20 five years fighting for our people on both sides of the river, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, to make sure that if you are injured, you maximize your recovery and get the fair value for your case. And please, do not rely on an insurance company. Insurance companies have one thing in mind. You know what that is? Their bottom line. That's it. They don't care about you, so you need an advocate. You need a guy who's going to fight. That's what Tom Skopinich does. Just go to scopelawyer.com, S-C-O-P-E, lawyer.com. Let him represent you. If you were injured in an accident, everyone that I've sent there has said the same thing. Rich, he's a great guy. He's one of us. And he is one of us. He's the guy that I would call in a heartbeat if, God forbid, I was injured in an accident. I wouldn't even think twice. And he's a personal friend. We've had dinner. We've seen movies together. He's a fellow... um, well, he's not, I shouldn't say he's a Marvel buff anymore because we both agree that the latest iteration of Marvel movies is terrible. But we like the old ones, and we talk about that a lot. Like Captain America, for example, the Winter Soldier, one of the absolute best. Uh, reach out to him today. Scopelawyer.com, S-C-O-P-E, lawyer.com. The law offices of Thomas Skopinich. Fighting for you, fighting for us. Licensed in PA and New Jersey with an office in Lansdale, Montgomery County, PA. Scopelawyer.com. The Rich Zioli Show on Talk Radio. 1210 WPHD. Breaking news before the show today, the FBI seizing the phones of New York City Mayor Eric Adams, because Eric Adams, of course, is a big pain in the Biden administration's neck, no question about it. 
Um, Tucker Carlson's interview with Douglas Mackey was outstanding, and I'm going to share some of that with you as the show goes on today, because I think everybody needs to be, um, well, you should be terrified of what the government will do if they don't like what you say. They absolutely hate it, and they will come after you. There's no doubt in my mind about that. They will come after you. They will use the full power of the federal government to shut you down, and this is what our government has been doing. And I just have a hard time believing on Veterans Day that people signed up to wear the uniform to go fight for the Constitution, fight for liberty, to have the United States government use its law enforcement powers for political purposes. And I, I, it's appalling. It's appalling. It's, it's, it's just it's disrespectful to, the, to our veterans, disrespectful to the Constitution. It absolutely, incredibly frustrates me, as I'm sure it frustrates all of you. No doubt about it. But... What Tucker talks about with Douglas Mackey is the fact that if the government doesn't like you, the government will prosecute you. And for something that is free speech, I mean, a a joking meme on Twitter telling idiot Hillary Clinton voters to text their vote, which everybody knows you can't text your vote. Everybody knows that. But that's not the point. The point is they wanted to shut him down. So I've always told you a long time ago, my one of my Zioli axioms, if you've been with me since day one, you know this, because I've said this a million times. If the government wants to get you, the government will get you. They'll find something and they'll get you. And, and, and it used to be you'd have to commit an actual crime. But nowadays, it's just you put out the wrong the wrong information and they consider that disinformation, election interference, and then they'll, they'll prosecute you for it. And what's happening to Douglas Mackey in this country right now is just an absolute outrage. And yet, every single day, we have more stories like this. So I will get to that with you as well as the show goes on. 855-839-1210 if you want to weigh in on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. But allow me to welcome back to the show our friend, Dr. Victoria Coates. She is the vice president of the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. She was also one of Donald Trump's top advisors. And she's the author of David Sling, A History of Democracy in Ten Works of Art. Hello, Dr. Victoria Coates. How are you? Well, I'm good, Rich, but where's the walk-up music? Oh, well, you know what? Henry's not here today. Oh, my God. I know, and Jimmy is filling in, and Jimmy didn't realize you had walk-up music, so I apologize for that. Uh, Remind remind me what the walk-up music is again. It's uh... David Bowie and Americans. All right, so so Jimmy, can you get up Young Americans for me for Dr. Coates, and we'll start this over? We'll just pretend like this never happened. Can you do that for me? Jim's pulling up the, the music All right. now. He, he's, 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 he's pulling it up right now? All right, good. we got to get this right. Matt DeSantis, this is on you. In Henry's absence, <laughs> I blame you for this. It is my fault. I should have remembered, and I, I totally have, forgot. Like, literally been thinking about it all week. All right, well, we're going to make it happen. Jimmy, let's do this. Come on. <laughs> Jimmy's a, a professional DJ, so he's quite familiar with this song. Jimmy, let's do it. Come on. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Blackout music coming on this Friday here on the uh, Rich Yellow Show as the fill-in board op gets thrown right under that bus that will soon be controlled by AI. It's WPHT. <laughs> well done, Jimmy. Well done. And here to talk to us about all the craziness in the world, Philadelphia's own vice president of the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation, Dr. Victoria Coates. That was much better. That was perfect. perfect. All right, let's go. All right. Uh, where should we begin today? Where do you, where do you want to, which, which craziness in the world do you want to talk about first? Well, actually, let's start here at home. And, you know, tomorrow's Veterans Day. So I want to say thank you to all of our friends who have served. And, uh, you know, one thing we're following very closely at Heritage is what has been happening with Senator Tuberville, who's taking a very strong stand against the Pentagon's illegal not to mention immoral policy to use federal taxpayer dollars to uh, to finance abortions for women in the services or, or female family members, which was just unilaterally handed down by the secretary without any pop- proper appropriations process in, in Congress. And he is taking incoming from everyone, including a lot of Republicans who should know better. So Heritage is really proud to stand with Coach on this one and do the right thing. Good. I'm 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 happy to hear that. That's wonderful. It's not getting enough attention. It really is not. Nope. And the media has beaten the crap out of him for this. And it's it's good to hear that you guys are standing with him on that. It's an important point. Yep. And so we have that. Uh, we have the Eagles beating Dallas, which was a great <laughs> yes, moment <laughs> in our city's history. And I think actually the the disarray of Dallas Nation, it, their loss is better than our win on this one. Mm-hmm. just because they were so sure they had it. So, you know, that takes us into the bye week with a lot of hope, and the Sixers are showing some signs of life. So starting mm-hmm. to, to heal heal the Phillies' wounds. Uh, yes, and we needed that for sure. No no question about mm-hmm. it. And and I'm wearing my Eagles T-shirt right now just as in, in solidarity, even Excellent. though there's no game on Sunday. So uh, there, was a, there was a tweet that was put out earlier, I guess it was yesterday, earlier today, more than 1,000 officials in the United States Agency for International Development, that's USAID, have signed an open letter urging the Biden administration to call for an immediate ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas. A thousand officials. Dr. Victoria Coates, I have a problem with that because uh, we should not be telling Israel how to fight their wars. We should not be telling Israel how to fight their wars and also the unelected career bureaucracy at USAID, which is a subsection of our State Department, should not be telling the duly elected president of the United States what its policy should be. It should be the other way around. So I think, you know, the the fact and, and the number of people that work for USAID, and this this is a shocking bad thing and we should get after it, is 10,000 around the world. I don't think we should be paying 10,000 salaries for for what they've done. But if we are going to, that one-tenth of them are willing to come out publicly and say, we oppose our president, who we have signed on. I mean, theoretically, they're supposed to serve without bias a president of either party. And you can see why 
we got tripped up pretty badly by this crowd in the Trump administration. But for them to come out this resolutely against Biden and feel emboldened, you know, it's it's sort of an extraordinary moment uh, as you know, as we reassess how we are going to deal with this unelected permanent bureaucracy after the 24 election. You know, do we really want these people in their jobs in perpetuity thinking they know better than, you know, their political uh, their political bosses? So I think for Biden, this puts him in a heck of a pickle because you know that's literally his base. And if one tenth of them are willing to come out and publicly disavow his policies, he's going to have to do something. And unfortunately, in this case, it means he's going to have to break the rather strong stance, unexpectedly strong stance that they had been taking on the Israel issue. And we've already seen that happen. I also think it, it says a lot about the Project 40. Uh, the, I think it's called what? Well, actually, you tell me the name of the project to reign in the executive branch of government uh, to take it away, the power from these unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats and return the power to the elected president of the United States. I think I think this also is another reason why we need that project. Yeah, that's Project 2025. And if you listen to MSNBC, which I don't recommend, but if you were to do so, you would hear that the Heritage Foundation is this dark leader of a dark, shadowy cabal who are plotting in darkness to take over the federal government. And we're plotting, you know, so successfully that we have created a large website, public website for this thing, and we published a 900-page book about it. So that is all freely available on the web about how, you know, you can use the existing authorities of the president to rein this in. This was never the intention of the founders uh, that this this should be the case. And I think all Americans need to look at this and realize this is causing all sorts of systemic problems in our government, because it's not just the snowflakes of USAID. But the big problem with the defense budget is not that we're buying too many F-35s or, or aircraft carriers, although you could argue about those very high ticket argue, items, but rather it's the personnel costs for the career bureaucracy that we just carry. And these people can't be fired. And when they're fired, you have to replace them by mandate. So if somebody had like a paper pushing job that is no longer relevant, secretary doesn't have it in his power to say, okay, when Bill retires, we don't need to replace Bill because Bill is filing paper copies that are no longer required. Nope. Bill, Bill has to be rehired in a union job that is yours for life. And until we get after that, and give the politicals the authority to fire a lot more of these people or let them go if they're openly in rebellion against the established policies of the president. I mean, there's so many reasons you would want this flexibility. But that's if you want to figure out how you get the defense budget under control, it's not over systems. It's, it's over this kind of personnel carries that we have that are the bulk of the budget. Yeah, well said. Absolutely well said. And 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 the the hubris of these people thinking that they can they can set forth government policy when that's not their job is just absolutely outrageous. But I then I have to ask the question though, which is are they doing this knowing that they actually in, in other words, they're doing this because it really is what the administration wants. And the, Biden is just using lip service right now, that they're really not contradicting him. Biden really does want this war, this ceasefire. He really is not on the side of Israel because, again, Barack Obama is really controlling the strings here and pulling the strings. So is it is it possibly that? It's, it's possible. I don't know that they're that organized. 
Mm-hmm. And I would say more that originally the Biden folks saw this as a political winner. Because remember, you've got people like Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi coming out and saying there shouldn't be a ceasefire. And some of the Jewish members of the House and the Senate are making noises like this. So this is not everyone. And certainly, I, I don't think they, whatever their personal sentiments are, and I couldn't begin to imagine those, but they don't want to be seen with, you know, plab, uh, you know, be censored by, I can't remember, I guess 22 Democrats voted for the final resolution to, to censor her, which is a pretty big number. Uh, so, so she's not popular outside her district. And, you know, that's, that creates just a big political mess for them. But, you know, they have a base and, and, you know, particularly in Michigan, which is where she's from, you know, this, what you'd call maybe an, a Hamas sympathizing Arab American vote is critical to winning a, a swing state, but it's not popular in the rest of the country. And so, you know, I think you'll see them just start to waver and to give or say as they, they try to navigate this. But it's, you know, it's, it's a problem of their own making. I mean, I personally think that, you know, to your point, this is not this is not a United States issue. As important as we are and as big as we are, this is an issue for Israel. And the role of the United States is to make crystal clear to the world that Israel isn't going to cease to exist because we're not going to let it. And that's just the bottom line. Right. Yeah. No question about it. Uh, Alan Dershowitz has been incredibly critical of Barack Obama. As you know, he was on the show with me last week and or maybe it was a few days ago. I can't even remember at this point. This week has flown by. (laughs) But he really teed off on Obama on this show. I want to just play a, a quick clip on this for you to comment on if I could, Dr. Victoria Coates. Take a listen. We never should have helped Iran build that nuclear reactor no, in the first place. Why Barack not. Obama did that is just beyond me. Look, Barack Obama has been a villain in this whole thing. He issued a statement the other day, I just wrote an article about it, in which he basically compared these massacres, these rapes, these beheadings, to Israel's um, occupation of Gaza, which doesn't exist. Israel ended its occupation of Gaza in 2005. They not only removed all settlers and all soldiers, they even dug up their dead bodies from graves and took them out of the Gaza Strip, and Obama obnoxiously and obscenely um, um, compared these brutal, brutal murders to Israel's disputed and controversial occupation. And that will just encourage uh, groups like Hamas to continue to brutalize innocent civilians, not only in Israel, but around the world. So I think that Obama has... Uh, shame on him for what he did. And I used to vote for him. I would never, ever support him, vote for him, or actually talk to him again. I, my relationship with him was over. I knew he was a student. I was at the White House repeatedly when he was president. Uh, that's over. Uh, Dr. Victoria Coates, that was on Tuesday that, that Professor Dershowitz said all that. Now, Professor Dershowitz is one of the great minds on this, and there's a reason he refers to Senator Cruz as his smartest student uh, that he ever had, despite being ostensibly more politically aligned with Barack Obama, uh, he recognizes actual smarts when he sees them. And Obama, and I think I think Alan would agree with this, is the root of a lot of what we're seeing now. Because mm-hmm. remember, Obama was trained by Bill Ayers and you know these radicals from the '60s who didn't win the re- revolution, but went into academia and started training generations uh, of our you know our future elites like Barack Obama for whom being anti-Israel and anti-Semitic is just kind of chic and cool. And, you know, you should want to be like this because all the cool kids are doing it. It's countercultural. 
you know, it's 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 kind of radical. And and that has crept into the academic culture that to the extent that we're seeing the just appalling rot that we're seeing at Penn. I couldn't tell you this last week for security reasons, but I went up to Princeton to give a speech on Monday and Heritage had to send two armed guards with me because they I mean, Princeton did everything they could, but their campus police aren't armed. And Heritage wasn't comfortable with my going to Princeton, you know, an hour right. away. Uh, you know, that is, I mean, and I couldn't talk about it. I mean, how great would it have been to be able to talk about it to your audience last week, you know, that I was off to do this. Uh, but I was, I was under blackout for the 48 hours before, before the speech. And it just, I mean, this isn't normal. This doesn't happen by accident. And when Obama came out last week and said, you know, nobody's hands are clean, I'm sorry. You know, it, it is time to put on a Jersey dude and, and tell us if you're on the side of good or evil. And it looks pretty, pretty bad for Obama right now. Yeah, it does. And it should look bad for Obama because I think he's been doing everything he possibly can ever since he was president to help Iran get a seat at the table of nations. But they don't want to have a seat at the table of nations. They, they don't want to play nice. And uh, and that is the reality. And, and to blame Israel for this. Let, let me ask you this question. Th- th- this line, we've heard a lot of this this slogan from the river to the sea, uh, where we had Karine Jean-Pierre today trying to twist herself in knots to 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 dance around it. What does this saying mean from the river to the sea, and why is it so prob- problematic? Yeah. Uh, you, you ask kids on the street, and they say, oh, it's metaphorical. There's no river. There's no sea. It's just kind of a, you know, it's a saying. It's cool. I'm like, No, there's a river. It's the River Jordan. That's on the eastern border of Israel, and there's a sea. It's the Mediterranean Sea. You might have heard of it. It's on the western border of Israel. So what you're, bas- you're saying, not basically, you're saying overtly, when you chant this, is all the land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea should be in Palestinian hands. And all the Jews and the Arabs who prefer to live under a democratic free society in prosperity, uh, all of them should be murdered. That'll be, I think, about 11 million people. And the, you know, whatever it is, 4 4 million uh, Palestinians uh, and then I guess the they, they will give right of return to all the refugees in uh, Jordan and Lebanon, that they will create some sort of an entity there. And from what we saw on October 7th, that's going to be pretty horrible. It'll be horrible not only for the people living in it, but absolutely catastrophic for everyone from Egypt to Jordan to Saudi Arabia, everyone in the neighborhood, and they know it. And that's why they're acting the way they are. They don't want to take these refugees. They don't want that to happen because they know what they would have on their hands. But for anyone who says that is anything but a genocidal intent in terms of the, the chant, the saying, they're just lying or, or so ignorant that they, you know, have basically forfeited their right to have an opinion. Yeah, well, I think in the case of, of Karine Jean-Pierre, it's a little bit of both, ignorant and also lying. Uh, let, let me ask you, I, Congressman Jeff Van Drew, who represents uh, New Jersey in, in Congress and South mm-hmm. Jersey, he put out a statement today saying that the United States of America needs to do more to take Jewish refugees into the country. He wants emergency uh, authority for that to, so that we don't do what FDR did and turn away boatloads of Jews uh, who are facing annihilation. I, I think that that's an excellent move by Congressman Jeff Van Drew. If nothing else, it will remind people of the historical truth of what the Roosevelt administration did. Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. And I mean, the Jewish population of the United States has been nothing but an asset to the country and an enormous, uh, an enormous blessing to the United States. I mean, sadly, I, I can't imagine if I were Jewish, I would want to go anywhere but Israel at this point, even given the dangers. But yeah. if if there are if there are any folks who want to claim a, a true asylum, unlike what's going on on the southern border. Uh, then I think, you know, I think that is an excellent, uh, excellent topic for Congress to take up, debate, do it lawfully, do it properly and show the world, you know, just exactly who the Democrats were in World War II and what the Republicans are standing for now. I agree with you. Dr. Victoria Coates is with me. She is the vice president of the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. The the attacks on U.S. troops and, and what's going on right now in the United States of America, I guess, retaliated by striking a facility in Syria. U.S. strikes Iran-linked facility in Syria and round of retaliation, according to the story. Uh, what 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 is happening right now as we're watching all all, all this playing out? Where where does this go? And 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 do you think that that this is kind of a wake up call for Americans who are turning around and saying, I didn't even realize we had a military presence still in in Syria. I mean, there was a congressman, it was Justin Amash, who pointed out we don't actually even have any legal authority to be there right now. Um, Also with Iraq, these are two countries that voted against the U.N. resolution condemning Hamas. And yet we have troops there supposedly helping these governments and at the behest of these governments. No, absolutely. And I don't agree with Justin Amash every day, but on this one, I certainly do. Uh, the the authority that's being claimed on the Syria issue, and this goes back to Obama and the unenforced red, red line, how they kind of how they attempted to recover from that was to introduce a military presence into eastern Syria, supporting the Syrian Kurds, who have been a, you know, a, a strong counterterrorism partner, but put put us or made worse already bad relationships with Turkey. And I have no fondness for the current leadership of Turkey, but Turkey is a NATO member and the largest military in Europe. So why would I embrace a policy that is going to become, no matter what, a flashpoint in that relationship? And lo and behold, it has. They claim authority from the 2001 authorization for the use of military force, which was the one that Congress overwhelmingly passed after the 9-11 attacks to go after whatever had attacked us on that horrible day. And that the rationale for that is that they're fighting ISIS, and ISIS is an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. But the problem in their logic is increasingly they are not fighting ISIS. They're fighting Iran. And Iran is explicitly not mentioned in the 2001 AUMF. And, you know, you could make a case that Iran has at least sympathized with Al-Qaeda, but they're very different animals. So... You know, Congressman Roy and I have been talking about this a lot, discussing the fact that we need a new vehicle that would actually authorize uh, the kinds of activities that we might engage with, given the Iranian threat in the region, and force the administration to be honest about what they're doing. And so the American people can know, and, and, and when necessary, their representatives can vote on it. And that what's going on right now is kind of a bait and switch operation to, you know, maintain this, you know, this group of troops that are increasingly just a target. So it's now, I think, 42 to 2 in terms of attacks, Iranian attacks on our guys and our retaliation. And we're taking injuries. I mean, we had one guy die of a heart attack, but thank heavens we haven't had a large large, uh, casualty episode. But unfortunately, it's just sort of a matter of time.
Yeah, no question about it. Uh, all right, last question for you since I know you got to run. you got a busy weekend ahead. Dr. Victoria Coates, China. Uh, I guess the Biden administration is having a chat with China. I, it was interesting to see Gavin Newsom uh, having chats with China as well. What do you what do you predict or I shouldn't say predict, but what, what do you what do you think's happening here in terms of the Biden administration and Xi Jinping and in, in, in this axis that's being formed now between Russia and China and Iran? And then at the very same time, all this is happening. You, know, you have the Biden administration that is continuing to demand Ukraine funding be lumped in with Israel funding. Obviously, in my opinion, Biden's corruption is behind this. They, they know that, a, that an up or down vote in Ukraine funding at this point does not pass. So they're trying to shove all this in. Um, and, at, and at the very same time, this is happening. You know, China is helping Iran. China is helping Russia. We don't seem to give a damn about that. In fact, we're, we're, we're doing everything we possibly can to make China look like, again, the good guys here. Well, I mean, this goes back to the kind of basic problem the administration has with China, which is they may recognize that China is a problem, but they think climate is a bigger problem. And if you take that position mm-hmm. and you have to get somewhere on climate, then you have to both buy cheap renewable products from China, and you have to get to a deal with China. Not that I think they have any, the Chinese have any intent to do this in any kind of an honest or constructive way, but that's the bind the Biden folk are in. So they have to keep these channels open. And the Chinese know it, and they're going to town. They've created, out of Russia and Iran, these two captive energy streams. It's in their interest for Russia and Iran to be isolated on the international stage because it means they're just going to get tons of energy at a cheap price. And that's what they depend on. And so, you know, knowing that, that basically Xi has been the banker for both Ukraine and for the Hamas attacks, you know, to have the president honor him with a summit in San Francisco, which is going to be absolutely atrocious for the United States. Can you imagine the opticals that are going to come out of that, given the condition of San Francisco? And I'm sure we will be lectured by the Chinese about the condition of San Francisco and the condition of our citizens, uh, the, the way Secretary Blinken was lectured in Alaska a couple of years ago. And this is just going to be a disaster. And it's because they're chasing a climate deal. Nothing more, nothing less. Amazing. Dr. Victoria Coates, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. And uh, have a wonderful weekend. Can't wait to chat with you again next week. Sounds good. Take care, Rich. And we will be right back as we continue along the show. A lot to chat about. Don't go away. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.